0: me, evidently. No, uh, my name is Daryl Temple. Welcome to Hilltop Church. I'm actually the pastor of this church, if you could believe such. I know. It's, it's an interesting thing. never ceases to amaze me personally that God actually lets me pastor. Um, that's supposed to be funny. You could laugh there. It's okay. Stop <laughs> looking concerned. No. Anyways, welcome to Hilltop Church. If you know anything about me, I like to sweat and have fun. Um, and so... But today, I will actually not be bringing the word. Uh, we have the privilege of having one of my dear friends, actually I consider him as a brother to me, Will Eifler, um, is going to share with us the sermon. Will, if you would come up. We could fix this mic. That would be good. Why don't we just extend our hands towards Mr. Eifler here. And let's pray for ourselves, actually. You know, you can, but it, while you're doing it, extend your hands towards Will. Father, we thank you for this man. Thank you for the proven character and the spirit, Lord, that you've placed and given him. Lord, now today we ask for our ears to be open and our hearts to be soft to the word that you've given him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: We might be a little bassy. I got a little uh, crazy with the EQ there. Sorry, Jamin. Can we just give a hand to Jamin for the soundboard? Oh, a little bassy. Yeah, sorry. I'm really, really excited. This is, uh, it's been a while, and I actually haven't even spoken in this space, so I gotta get used to trying to peer through the lights. Um, I love the lights, but it's kinda hard to see everyone's faces. I am gonna talk about work today, and that is the spoiler alert. I'm a big spoiler kind of person. I think it's something that's not talked about nearly enough in the church. I think that we have a ton of misconceptions about work, about money. And I'm really, really excited to see what God's view of work really is. Um, I would like you, if you can, to turn to Genesis 2.15. We're going to go all the way back, rewind to the beginning, and get a bird's-eye view. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man—this is Adam— And put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Somebody say, work it. Work it. Yes. That is literally the first thing that Adam's put there to do. Walk with God and work. Do good work. Good work that is actually fun. He was put there to populate the earth, him and his wife, Eve, it says in a later verse. And to tend the earth. Basically, just make everything beautiful. That's the job. That's, every, that's it. The entire existence of Adam and Eve to make the earth beautiful and to populate it. And what happens? We go down to Genesis 3.17. And some of you might know what happens in the story, but they eat the fruit of the tree that God said not to eat of. And what happens? They fall. The, the sin, willful, willful, participation with rebellion and sin. That's what happens. It brings sin into the world. And so this is God confronting Adam. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for your dust, and to dust you shall return. So what happens here? You're getting the picture, right? There's a perfect world, and then there's sin, and then there's a curse. The curse is not work. You know what I'm saying? Okay, uh, let's just take a pause for a second. How many of you here have struggled over the issue of career, over the issue of, thank you, Kaylin. Somebody's honest. I, I can always count on Kaylin to be there for me, my hype man. Um, struggled with, what am I doing? You know, like that, that, that kind of existential thing of like, oh, my word. I feel like a chicken pecking the ground sometimes. Like, this is so futile. Like, why, why am I just, why is it so hard? You know, it doesn't feel like it's right. And that's a result of the fall. It's a result of the curse. Well, let me ask you a question. Who came? Sorry, I might, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm going to get technical for a second. Maybe 200 hertz? Can we, can we lower that? <laughs> <laughs> Two to 300, I don't know. It's a little bit, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Um, forgive me for that. Okay, so Jesus, right? Right there, you know, right after this verse, God goes on to say, there's going to be somebody who redeems You know, he's going to crush the head of the serpent under his heel. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Somebody say "Jesus." Jesus. He broke the curse. He broke the curse of sin. He broke the curse of the fall. He broke the curse of work. But I hope I can establish for you with this message, it takes walking with God. You can't just be off doing your own thing and expect to walk in the blessing of God. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage us. God does have a purpose. God does have uh, it's it's more than just second best. I think, you know, we've watched the church walk through it, the global church, walk through the ideology of what is career, what is work. What's it all for? And for a very very long time, it was second best. For a very, very long time, it was, you know, just, you you just did it because you weren't holy enough. You had a career, you worked with your hands because, well, the lay people, or not the lay people, I mean the clergy, those are the holy ones. You know, if you're a monk hiding out on the side of a hill, praying all the time, then you're holy. If you're a priest, gets up, speaks in Latin at you know, it's so old that you can't understand it, then you're holy. So many misconceptions have surrounded work. That curse seems to not really have just fallen onto the work itself. It's also cluttered our minds up so that we are confused about what we're doing. We're confused about what God's called us to do. But it doesn't have to be that way. So God creates man. He gives him a job. Jesus redeems us from the curse on that job I want to go to another biblical story this is one of my favorites Um, go to Daniel 1 Daniel 1 3 so Babylon had taken over Jerusalem because God had decreed that that should happen because the Israelites were rebellious once again And um, Daniel and his friends were one of the ones taken into captivity, which is a very difficult circumstance. But they were also given favor. They were chosen to be trained by the king in his court and to be among like an elite group that would be selected from to be pretty high up officials. And from the beginning, this this story just goes so different. I I feel like there's not many, there's not there's not a lot of places in the Bible that you can find such a such a radical. Like, first of all, can I just say this you guys may you probably know the story of Daniel, but he was a high-ranking official in an ungodly kingdom. I think that's one thing that we, you know, we always get very Sunday school and we're like, oh yeah, of course, Daniel Lion stand. You know, got, like, a felt board kind of, like, picture in your mind of, like, what that looks like. Um, but the crazy thing is, you know, it wasn't even, it wasn't even that kosher. You know what I'm saying? Daniel was in the wrong place. He should, you know, why would, it almost seems ungodly that Daniel would be this high-ranking person, given all his favor, walk with God in that position. I think most of us would look at that in it's kind of like that religious mindset. we look at that and say, you're not even following God. You're just, you're just after success. David was so instrumentally used, not only to save the king and turn the entire kingdom. Well, the, I mean, the king decreed it. Not everybody did it. But, like, turn Babylon towards the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he set up prophecy and preparation for Jesus many, many, many Hundreds of years before he came. And there's something so profound about the obedience of Daniel in a wicked place. I just want us to read this, um, the origin story, so to speak, of Daniel. The king commands Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people to Israel. The people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, four youths without blemish. Of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. This was food that had been sacrificed to idols and the king ate it, by the way. Um, So that was not not, uh, something that they could eat. And of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. Sounds kind of familiar. Students holler at me. There we go. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Verse 8, if you go down a little bit. Daniel resolved. Say that with me. Daniel resolved, Daniel resolved. That he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief, the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. This guy puts his neck on the line for Daniel and his friends and it ends up paying off. Verse 17, if you go down. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, all of, the, all of the kids who were being trained, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. So they, basically, they got positions in the court. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Because of Daniel and his friends, a whole subversive just, you know, turning of the tables happens in the very middle of this wicked kingdom. And God sets up the foundation for prophecies for Jesus to come he sets up a complete upheaval of godlessness. This is such a picture of what God wants to do with us. It doesn't matter if you're a student. It doesn't matter if you're a career person. It doesn't even matter if you're in ministry. I just want to say, you know, so like a little just to give you a little bit of a picture of why this is so close to my heart. I run a business throughout the week. Some of you probably know a lot of you know this, but I make videos and Two days a week. Uh, Well, actually, Amy does more than that. But we're both bivocational. She's a physical therapist throughout the week, and um, and then a couple days a week we give time to the church. There is a. I think God is calling more people to give time like this to the church. I think for a long time it's been one or the other, and there is definitely a call. um, It's one of those things I bring before God pretty often. Um, there's a call, it's a very high call to be full-time in ministry. But how many of you guys know, only so many of us can be full-time in ministry. And I, this is, all of this, I got so excited last week as we were listening to Daryl speak. It was such a good message about just giving all of yourself, serving the purposes of God. Not just not just saying, oh, I'm just going to hang back. You know, the, the thing he was telling us about, Bob, Bob Weiner says, where are all my full-time ministers at? You know, And all of us should be raising our hands. All of us should be signed up fully there saying, yes, that's me. I'm not checked out because I'm doing a job. I'm not checked out because I have a career. I'm not checked out because I have a business. I'm not checked out because I'm in grad school. I so respect, I hugely respect the incredible time so many of you guys are putting into college grad school. I, I, I didn't go to school. I taught myself things and it took me a lot longer, so it's really awesome that you're in school. Um, but I do know this, because I've seen it in the lives of a few people. You don't have to let it suck the time out of your prayer life. You don't have to let it be 4, 8, 12 years. God bless those of you that are trying to be doctors. Um, It doesn't have to be just a dark age of your life. It doesn't have to be the dark ages of of your involvement with church. This can be a time where God uses you and shows the rest of the world what he can do through an obedient vessel. This is the main thing I want to get at. I, I have so many things I want to talk about with this message, and uh, God help us all so that I, <laughs> it might make sense and you understand it. Hopefully I get the right things across. One of the biggest things I want to get across today is, I really believe God multiplies time. <laughs> I actually don't just believe it. I've experienced it. I've had God <laughs> kind of bat me around quite a bit. I've seen such waste of time in my own life. Get turned into productivity that can't that can't be imagined. I've literally had clients. I've had Fortune 500 clients sit over my shoulder and say, "What's happening on your computer screen?" Because like, I don't understand how fast this is happening. Like, I've never seen anybody edit this fast, and it's it's just when you. It's not just my own ability. I literally have sat down and had God sit there with me, and actually told the client this. I was like, "Look, dude." God helps me. (laughs) It really happens. (laughs) But I'm talking about what can take like hours and hours and hours and hours, like tens of hours, just being a couple of hours. And I get that, you know, some of you are right to say, hey, pump the brakes. That's a creative field. I get it. But you'd be surprised just how creative most careers really are. And most of us have been trained. I'm sorry, you know, to throw school under the bus a little bit, but we've been trained just to work with the left side of our brain. Anybody anybody know what I'm talking about? Or we're just linear? We just think it all has to be, you know, I have to just rationalize everything. Do you know that God actually uses your sleep to help you process problems? Do you know that's scientific? That's a scientific fact. There's so much to rest. I have another story. When we instituted our Sabbath way too late into our marriage, <laughs> Amy, was, hey, Amy was properly harassing me for probably the first year of our marriage. Like, dude, we have to have a proper Sabbath. I was like, you know, we have like half of this day and another half of that day. And she was like, hmm, no, that's not a Sabbath. When we instituted that Sabbath... I, had, I, started work, I basically had to cut out a day a week of work. I now run the business on four days a week. I used to work about 70 to 80 hours a week. I now work about 40 to 50. I, um, it has grown <laughs> and tremendously. My productivity has grown. The client base grew. All of my effort. I've had God so many, I, I had a very significant time recently where God just simply said, look, I will resist you as much as I need to. To teach you how to walk with me. To teach you that it's not about you. Because he really wants to be responsible. You have to understand something. Your life is not your own anymore. That's a very familiar phrase anyway. Let me put it another way. Now that you're a Christian, you don't get to do things your own way. Now that you're a Christian, things don't work by the old playbook. That's not how it works anymore. It's not just logic anymore. It's not just linear. God wants to work outside of it. Where's the glory in you doing it all yourself just by working hard? And the world seeing that you're just another, okay, anybody know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? I'm sorry, but that dude, a little bit too intense. Like, he's just like hustle, hustle, work, you know, sleep two hours a night. Like, no, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. Unless God, you know, gives you, I guess, a body that's okay with that. But it's probably a bad idea mentally. Like, don't do that. God wants to do so much more with your time so you can actually have life balance and be able to serve the church. If we're going to be able to get through this message, i got to move on to some other things here. But, okay, values created. I think a lot of us, one of the things that most fallacies around money and around work come back to is the fixed pie fallacy. Anybody know what that is? Raise your hand. Anybody heard of the fixed pie fallacy in economics? So, thank you, one person. Um, <laughs> it's basically the idea that there's only a certain amount of money, there's only a certain amount of wealth in the world to go around, and if somebody has more, everybody else is going to have less. Do you know that that is a fundamentally, like, any economic, economist, oh my word, can tell you that that is a flawed, it's a fallacy. Values created. When you, the reason that Google is the most valuable company in the world is they did one thing. They expanded the access to knowledge to the entire world and instantly multiplied the time and the effort of the entire world to be able to access information. It's just a picture of what God can do with your life. It's not linear. I encourage you, read more about it. This is, I, can't, I can't break down the fixed pie fallacy for you, but God, God multiplies time. Let me go down a little bit here. All right. One of the quick things I wanted to get after. This is important. Prosperity gospel. <laughs> oh, I love this. This is fun. There's so much content here. There's so much I could get into. Prosperity gospel says, God will give me whatever I want. It's fundamentally selfish. The, the, the bad parts of the prosperity gospel are fundamentally selfish. It's basically, God is good. He answers prayer, so he's going to give me whatever I want so that I can be comfortable. That's not, that part's not really said very much, but that's the, that's the bad part of it. How many of you know what asceticism is? Raise your hand. Asceticism, okay, so just a quick definition of that, it's the glorification of lack for spiritual purposes, basically to feel spiritual. Very big in the Middle Ages, any monks would basically give up all all that they owned, take a vow of poverty, and go spend all of their time praying. Now listen, if God calls you to pray all the time and be a monk, that's definitely between you and God, that's, like, that can be a beautiful thing. God did a lot of great things with those people. But the idea that that's the spiritual way to live alienated the rest of the church. Here's the fallacy with asceticism it says, I'll ignore my needs and the needs of others in order to feel spiritual. So, what do we see? Two different sides, two different errors. You know, let let me just say, we're always looking for, give me the answer. Give me the thing I can just hang my hat on and I've got it checked off. I know what to do. I don't have to think anymore. So many theological arguments in the church over the millennia have been, just tell me what to think. Just tell me what to do. And the reality is, God is not into that, or he would have given us all the answers to these difficult questions, but he doesn't want to. There's a rub in your life with your career, with your study, with the management of your time, because God is actually looking to get at your heart. There's a reason it's hard. God says, this is, this is God, God's the, the real gospel perspective on prosperity versus asceticism. He says, your life is not your own. It's all for others now. And I'll give you whatever you need to give to them. That's how that works. It's to build the kingdom of God. The most spiritual thing that you can do is obey me. That's your new job. So no longer are we just checking in with God once a day, you know, walking in the garden. He wants to walk with us the whole way through. We've got the Holy Spirit now, guys. We've got the Holy Spirit walking with us, living in us. God miraculously wants to use you, use your life to show the world, you don't have the full picture. You don't have, it's not just effort. It's not just your mind. Many of you got into where you are. You're, in the, you're sitting in seats in this city right now because you have a great mind. Let me ask you a question. Where's the glory of God in just the fact that you're brilliant? Where is it? There's a lot of brilliant people. What if God uses somebody who doesn't have that brilliant of a mind to crack the toughest problems. I'll tell you, God has done it many, many times. A lot of inventors over the over the ages have actually gotten dreams of inventions. Brilliant minds and more normal people. God wants to use you in miraculous ways to show culture. There's a different way. This I think the best example, and this is the one I, I kind of saved it a little bit, because I think it's just such a beautiful example. How many of you love Jesus? Oh, that's so good. We need more people to love Jesus in this room. How many of you guys love Jesus? Oh, we're getting there. I feel, like I feel like some of us need to get saved. How many of you guys love Jesus? Amen. He worked. Jesus had hidden ears, man. Do you know that Jesus... Spent the vast majority of his life, he could have been a rabbi earlier than he was. Which he didn't end up, he wasn't a rabbi, but he could have worked miracles earlier. He could have been visible earlier. But he spent roughly, well, a little more than 20 years of his life actually apprenticing as a carpenter. Or could have been a stonemason. The word is a little bit fuzzy in the Greek but he worked. There's a holiness to work. If Jesus can work. You know how Jesus got baptized? He, Jesus didn't need to be baptized. John knew that. But then Jesus says, no, no, no. Baptize me. This is for the will of God to be complete. What do you think Jesus was trying to tell us? By, the, by working. God, who needs nothing. Who could call down legions of angels. Working on tables and chairs. Or something. I don't know. I like, the, I like that little moment in the uh, Passion of the Christ where he invents the chair. That's kind of cool. But anyway, that probably didn't happen. Um, I, who knows, man? That'd be, that would be super cool. He ministers for three years and has more impact than anybody else in history. Can you tell me who we're supposed to be like? Anybody know the answer to that? Shout it at me. That's right. Very good. How are we supposed to just analyze our lives and just figure out, oh, yeah, full impact? You know what? God called me to minister. God called me to speak on a microphone. God called me to sing, and you guys don't get it. I'm anointed. Plain and simple. God put a call in my life. I got a prophecy, signed, sealed, delivered, man. It's mine. God does things in his own timing. Your timing is offensive to God. Your timing is an affront to the character and the sovereignty of God. And, and it's kind of the same way around. His timing is very offensive to us. Very, very, very offensive. i got to tell you, man... I, Last year, I literally, I hit a dry spell. God is always doing something when that happens. And uh, I didn't have any projects. It's very unusual because I've been building my business for like seven years. And um, I was knocking on some pretty big doors. I thought I had some some pretty good uh, inroads. It should have worked, really. And um, I got to the end of the summer, and I had this big moment with God where he just like finally... Like, kind of had, he gave me this dream, and then he started talking to me quite openly. And he was like, You know, I've been resisting you for the past several months. And I, I was like, What? <laughs> but God, you told me what to do. You told me at the beginning of this year, literally, to keep building the business. You told me you, you want me to be bivocational, so I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm supposed to build this business, I'm supposed to try hard, but now you're going to resist me? How does that work? And God just said, You didn't keep asking me what I want you to do. You're just doing it on your own. And that is so offensive because I got the big picture. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. But God isn't just about telling you one thing for the rest of your life and you just go do it. That's not how it works. He wants you to walk with him day by day. Your interpretation of God's words aren't very good. In fact, they can can lead you right down the wrong road. Right down the wrong road. God wants a relationship with us. He doesn't just want to give you a job. That's not his goal. He wants to train you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to shepherd you. He wants to nurture that that gift that you have. You can't just wake up in the morning and just say, okay, I'm just going to do this my way. That's not how he designed it. I proceeded to, after having this experience and submitting to God, <laughs> I proceeded to have the biggest four months of the entire business ever. It exceeded previous years. And I, I, I just couldn't believe, I couldn't believe how stark it was. And I was still doing it on four days four days a week, big influx of business, still about four days a week, sometimes five, Amy will probably correct me, but there was, there was definitely a couple of weeks that it was, it was a little bit more, but I didn't have to just strive, I got a little bit of a taste, I got a little, I've seen a little bit of a taste of God multiplying time, of him breathing on it, and, and saying, this is the answer here, don't do that, do this, you can save years of effort of your life. You can save years of work. You can save years of futility if you go to God. You know, that's what made David so beloved of God. We were doing a study of David at our house, um, one of our community groups. We're wrapping up this week, actually, um, last, last time we were studying David. And really, when it, from, as I studied more, I was like, what really made him a man after God's own heart? He always, always went to God. He always inquired of the Lord and said, Lord, what what am I supposed to do? God loves that. That's what He wants from us. Looking back at the garden, what does it look like when the curse is broken? What would it look like in your life if God broke that curse, the Adamic curse, on your time, on the fruit of your labor? It's a whole different world. You know, I think a lot of us, the fallacy doesn't just stop with this life. A lot of us are really confused about what we're going to be doing. I don't have all the answers, but I'll tell you this God created a world for us to cultivate. There's a lot more for us to do. Eternity is going to be chock full of creativity, it's going to be chock full of absolutely rewarding work. It's going to be chock full of worshiping God and just creating, being like him. Come on. How many of you have ever felt that feeling of just like, oh my goodness, like I feel like this is, this is something that I was made to do. It might have just been for a moment. But God just didn't design that for a brief moment of time. You've got to get the image of the, the angel playing the harp, a little tiny harp on a cloud. Out of your head. Now and in eternity, God has amazing things for us to do. I can only tell you what it looks like now. I can't tell you what it looks like in eternity. But God gave you a creative spirit because he designed you like himself. I want to tell you another story here. Exodus 31, if you could go there with me. This is this is where the spiritual meets the natural. Exodus thirty-one, one. Then the Lord said to Moses, "See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs." to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. God appoints him to design the intricate details of the temple, anoints him with ability far beyond his own natural ability. This is just a picture of what God does when he puts his spirit on somebody. Say this with me. I need the Holy Spirit. We need him. We need the Holy Spirit. We can't just do this alone. If we don't get filled up by God, if we don't get that quiet time, I got to tell you, it's so stark to me. I'm continuing to learn this lesson day after day after day, and it's so hard sometimes to just, Lord, it's really, mainly the hard thing is submitting. That's really, it's still hard for me. It's like, Lord, I, really, I got these things to do. I kind of want to cut my time short. I don't know if I have time to get time with you today. It's There's so many practical reasons. I've seen such a stark difference in the days that I sacrificed my time. Maybe lost a little bit of sleep. Maybe stayed up a little bit later. Maybe I pushed off a phone call. Whatever it was, sacrificing of time to be like, God, no, I need you. I need not just to hear from you. I need to feel you. I need to experience you. My spirit, my soul is incomplete without you. I need you to fill me up. I wish I could tell you I did it more. I wish I could tell you that. But I can tell you this. The times that I have made that sacrifice, it's like God multiplied my time. Just multiplied it. Multiplied my ability. Multiplied my capacity. Multiplied my emotional capacity. I'm not just thrown by things. God wants to walk with us. He wants to anoint us. One thing that I wanted to um, even touch on here is, uh, you know, I I was reading part of this book about um, basically men in the church. I think, you know, it's not to get into gender roles too much because there's definitely, you know, interchange of like, you know, who can carry what role. Like, you know, one person might be the provider in a family and might be switched in another family. I'm not saying necessarily that, but I do know this, on, by and large, a lot of men are confused, a lot of us really do get, like, what am I doing here in church, really, you know, like, this doesn't even make sense for me, you know, I'm a sensitive guy, I love church, I'm a musician, so I'm, I'm, like, really fit in here, but some of you career guys, you know, it's, there's, there's, like, there's sometimes, like, this confusion of, like, this is good, but, like, this, how does this mesh with my practical life? How does this make any sense with what I do day in and day out throughout the week? It's just an event. I'm not called to be a minister. I know I'm supposed to lay bricks. I know I'm supposed to be a finance guy. How do you reconcile that? And I just want to challenge you with this. God might be challenging you to think outside the box. First of all, To know the holiness of the work that you have. To see your workplace. You've probably heard this before. But to see your workplace as a missions field. See, when you're doing things on your own, you're just like, well, I know God called me to work. So, I'm not going to really worry about doing anything else. I'm going to work. You know? i got a family to provide for. And that's right. That's the way it should be. But, God wants you to do more than just work. Just because work is something that God's called you to do doesn't mean that you're not supposed to do something outside of it. We have to ask God, challenge me. Tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Tell me how I'm supposed to serve you in my job. Tell me how I'm supposed to serve you in church. There's gifts that you have as a career person that the church needs desperately And it's only waiting for you to get outside of your box and to start giving in ways that are outside the norm. They might not be playing a guitar on Sunday morning. They might be something totally different, totally radical, totally you. But it's not going to happen unless you ask God, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing? What's my calling? Real quick, even just in terms of resources, resources are for two things. This is another thing that's gotten really confused. It's like, okay, what about people who have a lot? What about those of us who have a lot? What about those of us who have little? Here's how, this is really the best way in scripture that I can see it broken down, is for two things. Resources are for providing for your family and providing for the church, building the church. Those are the two things. It's not for our comfort. It's not for our you know, us to just escape on lots of long vacations. It's to build family, which is ground zero, building the kingdom of God, and it's to build the church. It's really interesting to see all of the, the flame wars that erupt on Facebook and everywhere else, digital. Uh, I'm, I'm growing more and more doubtful that we're going to be taking any of that with us to heaven um, <laughs> I would be thankful to have it gone. Um, but it's really interesting, the, you know, the criticism of the church. It's so popular. So very popular in our generation. One of the biggest criticisms that we have is, come on, you could, that, you could be spending that on the poor. And that's not to say resources shouldn't be stewarded, but there's this place... Where the church doing anything, the enemy is actually setting up lies. The enemy is actually setting up criticism, seeds of doubt against the church doing anything at all. And I know you've felt it. I know you've heard it, because I have, and I've felt it, and I've heard it. The enemy wants to lie to you and say, yeah, that's it's just a big waste. To set up this and to meet together is a waste. That lie is ringing in many of your ears as you sit here on a Sunday morning. But there's a huge purpose. What we're working on here is not just gathering people in a room and playing nice music. This is a place for you to encounter the presence of God in a dry and weary land. I recently had somebody take me apart for trying to uh, raise money for this house (laughs) that we're trying to buy, for the house of prayer. And uh, it it didn't really bother me that much, but it did get me thinking. And I was like, you know, God's given us a call. We're here to obey God. We're not trying to do it because it's millions of dollars. (laughs) Like, praise the Lord. I would much, we would all much rather be somewhere cheaper and do things that just look good on paper. I guarantee you it just does if you compare it it just looks bad. It looks you know, not financially irresponsible but it looks like wow that's a lot of money. You know you've seen the amount we're trying to raise. But there's a purpose for it. That we you, you, when you look at it through natural terms you're just like oh this is all just such a waste. Let's just give to the poor. Let's just go about our lives. You know, those, those criticisms, I've seen so many of them come from people who don't give anything from their own lives. They don't give anything from their own resources. And while they criticize, like Judas, they're actually taking behind their back. I mean, Judas had a thing to say about, you know, it's pretty extravagant when you think about a year's wages. By some accounts, maybe more. Being poured out as oil at Jesus' feet on the ground. Temporary. What is what is what, what 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 does that do for anybody, except smell good? You know. It was prophetic. That sacrifice was it, Jesus said it would be told throughout the generations, and it hasn't it? As an example of pouring out one's life, pouring out of resources. See, here's the thing. You've probably heard this before, but God's not concerned about your resources. God's not concerned about resources in general at all. He has plenty of resources. He doesn't need them. God just want to, wants to use you. He wants to use your life. You know, we get so caught up in dollars, numbers in our heads, we forget what it's all about. God wants to do bigger things than just money. He wants to do bigger things if it costs 10 bucks, if it costs 10 million bucks. It doesn't matter. It doesn't phase God one bit. You know that what we're doing here in Cambridge, what we're trying to build, this is, God has given us a, a word that this would be a, a seedbed of missions to the ends of the earth. We were just praying about this last night in our prayer set. You know, we're we're actually this we're actually trench digging we're road paving path clearing believers in this city you don't understand how unusual you are to even be sitting here you don't understand the call that's on you the fact that you even know who Jesus is and that you call yourself a christian in this city you sit at the crossroads of nations. You sit at the crossroads of the destiny of the rest of the earth. The nations send their best here to be trained. For years, we've wondered, how can we give just enough to missions so that we can feel good about our checkbook? But God's put you here for a purpose, to touch the lives of those who could touch millions more and you can't even see it because you're so stuck in how do I get to the next thing? How do, I, how do I grow in my career? How do I spend enough time? How do I get my next day? Some of you are so stuck in getting high grades, you don't even realize it doesn't matter. It doesn't. If God's going to get you through school, He's going to do it. And if you're not smart enough, God's still going to use your life. You you will do something. Do you trust God or not? Yes, you got to work hard, yeah. But you get so stuck in it that you can't see where God's calling you. You can't see what God wants to do with your life. Some of you are called to be missionaries. Some of you are called to give it up. That life on Wall Street, that life in the IMF, influencing the world, God does want to use your life as an affront to what could have been. There are those of you in this room that you'll give up something that costs you hundreds of thousands of dollars. You'll go do something totally different. You got to listen to God. Because that's the purpose of your life. Your life is but a breath. Eternity's forever. But there's other of you that God will use your life and what you're called to do and what you're training to do, I mean. You can't do it yourself. You can't do it on your own. You need the hand of God on your life. You need the Spirit of God if you're going to go further. You need the presence of God on you, if you're going to survive, if you're going to keep your salvation and even be a Christian at the end of this program. At the end of this stint in your career working in this city, some of you have jobs in this city that are very intense. You're not sure how long you'll be here. It's just a season. It's the same thing. You have to walk with God. You can't take a detour. There's so much more God wants to do with your life. iPad's kind of old. It doesn't really want to scroll. Okay. I still love it, though. Yeah, maybe I should replace it. (laughs) You know, this is, it was really cool, actually, Thursday morning. We were praying with Lynn uh, in the prayer room, and she prayed this thing that was really, really, I was like, it's definitely, I definitely gotta shout that out in my message. You know, this is, this is why the house of prayer is so radical in this city. j what we're doing is so countercultural. Like, we say the word countercultural, but what could be more countercultural than going and spending time praying with a few people in a house? When you have a huge workload to do, but you want to go pray for your city, You want to go get with the Lord with a couple of other people. You want to worship, sing our lungs out. Amy and I just get up there, we just scream our lungs out. It's great. You can't get better than that. But, you know, it's such an affront to naturalistic thinking. That's such an affront to humanism itself. The fact that you, with a busy schedule, man, some of you, I I, I say busy, it doesn't really begin to describe how much some of you have on your plate, but I've seen some of the busiest people on planet earth walk through these door, the doors of Jehob and spend time with God and give of their time. And you know what? God's blessing them still, and they're still doing it. There's, and they there's, there's a blessing in doing something that makes no sense to the rest of the world. There's a blessing there. That's why this this, the house of prayer is so countercultural in this city. See, it doesn't make natural sense. And I just—I encourage you to close your eyes, raise your hands with me. I'm going to do it too. Okay, so don't feel like I'm not doing it. I need it just as much. Well, let's just take a moment. Let's receive from God. It can totally happen without music. It can totally happen, just you sitting in your chair. God, I ask that you'd set us free from what we can do so that we could do what could be. God, I ask that you'd set us free from our own ability. I ask that you would set us free from naturalistic thinking, anti-God, humanistic thinking that's pervaded our minds, made us think that we have to do it all. Lord, I ask you to set us free. God, get us back to relationship with you. Lord, get us back to caring about time with you. Lord, those of us that over years of just not not feeling it, working hard, straying away from you, no longer even know what it feels like to be in your presence. God, bring us back. God, we just say this morning, we can't do anything apart from you. We can't do anything at all. I ask that you'd forgive us, Lord for trying things with our own hands, for even taking things that you've said and just running with it on our own. Lord, forgive us for our rebellion. Forgive us for our natural thinking. Lord, I ask that you would put a humble spirit in us. I ask that you'd put a contrite spirit, a spirit that loves your words, a spirit that loves your presence, above everything else. Lord, that won't settle. God, if you call us to go do something that makes no sense naturally, to give it up, to give up a career that's so promising and provide perfectly, Lord, that you give us the boldness to do it. And God, if you've called us to walk that narrow line Of making money and following you and serving you. God, would we give of our time, God? Lord, I ask that you would raise up people in this room that would start four day work week companies that would empower employees to give one day a week to the church. God, I ask you to raise up people in this room who would take their spare time and evaluate it and put it before you and say, God, it's not a burden. Obeying you is not a burden. It's, this is a joy. It's a joy to give it to you. It's a joy to give up this thing. It's a joy to give up my wasted time. It's a joy. Because what you have is better. Lord, we say above all, use our lives. Use our lives for the gospel. Use our lives for the kingdom. Use us, Lord as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.